Most of you have had the chance to meet my, uh, we have two children, Lisa and I have two children, Elizabeth and Simon, and many of you have had the chance to meet them. They are wonderful people. They, um, I, I think they're awesome. Of course, I'm biased because I'm the dad, right? But when I think about my children, I am constantly amazed at how different they are. You guys ever feel that way about your kids? If you have more than one, you've probably noticed that they're not the same folks. Have you noticed that? My two kids are as different as night and day. Um, and and it just amazes me that it could be that way. With they, they come from the same DNA. They were raised in the same house with the same rules and, and all that. But they could, they could have grown up into, to be completely different people. I mean, with different personalities and uh, perspectives on life and all of that. Well, um, the, the, the differences of my children... Um, were often accentuated during the Christmas season, and I want to tell you what I'm talking about. When my kids were little, you probably did this with your kids too, or do this with your kids. We, when they were old enough, we asked them to make a Christmas wish list, right? What are the things you want for Christmas, we would say. And say, so can't guarantee you're going to get everything, but make a list, and we'll do the best that we can with the money that we have available. Well, my daughter was the kind of person, she, she'd have a list as long as my arm. Now, most of the stuff on her list was little things, and, and to be quite honest with you, because they were little things, we were able to buy most of those gifts for her. My son, on the other hand, he always generally had just one kind of really expensive, very cool gift. And uh, when, he would, when they would bring their uh, Christmas list to us, we would say to him in, in particular, we'd say, dude, are you sure that's what you want to do? And he'd say, yep, that's what I want to do. That's what I want. He said, you realize that if that's what we do, that if, you, if we get you this one really cool but very expensive gift, you realize that means your sister's going to get a whole bunch more gifts than you get. And he says, I don't care. That's what I want. So we would do it. Come Christmas morning, we'd start opening presents, and, and he'd get that one very cool Christmas gift, and he'd be as happy as his face would just glow, right? Because he got that, that very cool, expensive Christmas gift. But then the rest of the morning would happen. His sister would open her next present, and then she would open her next present, and then her next present. And you could see with each successive Christmas present that she opened that he didn't have, that the the color was draining from his face. And you could tell that this that that basically he was getting to the point where he was going, This is the worst Christmas ever. Happened every year, too, by the way. Because it, he thought that this was exactly what it wanted to be, but then as he lived into it, it wasn't. His Christmas didn't live up to his expectations. Has that ever happened to you? You ever had a, a Christmas not live up to your expectations? As adults, we have Christmases that don't live up to our expectations, and there are a variety of reasons for why that happens, and it's, they're usually more serious than what I just described to you. With Simon, I mean, it can be something as, as, like we talked about a few weeks ago, like family dysfunction that occurs during the Christmas season that raises its head during the Christmas season. It can be the loss of a job, right? Some of you have experienced that recently. It could be um, the loss of someone that you love. Some of you experienced that too this holiday season. And it's when, when those kind of um, things occur and our Christmases don't live up to what we expect. 
It's when those things happen that we start asking questions like this. Where is God? Why did God let that happen? Could God have stopped it? And if he could, why didn't he? Have you ever asked those kind of questions? People ask those questions of me all the time as a pastor. When they are going through difficult seasons of life, when life isn't living up to their expectations. I want you to know something. I want you to... I, those very questions were probably asked by a lot of people on the very first Christmas. And today what I want to do is I want to address some of those questions for all of you. And we're going to use the Christmas story as the way to address them. Okay? If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to, to Matthew chapter 2. It's the same chapter we've been in through this whole series because it's the Christmas story. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, that's found on page 960 if you're using one of the church Bibles. By the way, if uh, you don't have a Bible at home, um, take, take one of those Bibles home with you, okay? It's our Christmas present to you. Take, because we want, uh, the best thing that could happen with these Bibles is that someone would take them home and use them throughout the week. So please do that. It's your gift. If we run out here, we'll buy more, but uh, we want everybody to have a Bible, Okay. Matthew chapter 2. As you remember from last week, um, I alluded to the fact last week that in, as part of the Christmas story, there is a tragedy that occurs. We re, you'll remember that the wise men um, had, had come with a very innocent question of King Herod. He, they came asking King Herod, where is he who is born King of the Jews? Remember that? It was an innocent question. They, they thought that it would be uh, he was the right person to bring the question to because he was the leader of the Jews. But the fact of the matter is that question gave birth to some um, tragic results. Um, the thought that, that there was a, a king that had, was, that had come to supplant King Herod gave rise to feelings of jealousy and fear, and, and um, animosity, and thus tragedy, which leads us to our scripture for today. It says in um, Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 13, it says that when they left, and we're talking about the wise men here, right? It says when they left, an angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream, and he says, he says to Joseph, he says, I want you to rise, take the, the, the woman, I want you to take the girl and the child, and I want you to flee to Egypt. We know that part of the story. That's the, that's the Christmas story. We know that part of the story. And it says, I want you to flee uh, and stay in Egypt until I tell you otherwise. So just stay there. And he, and, um, he says it's because King Herod wants to destroy the child to kill him. So what does, what does Joseph do? If, I mean, if you, if you all had an angel come to you and suggest you do something, you should do it, right? Anybody want to disagree with an angel? I wouldn't if I were you. You want to, so uh, he takes the, his, his wife and he takes the baby and they go to Egypt. And um, the tradition tells us that one of the reasons why they were able to do that was because of the 
of the gifts that were presented to them by the wise men. So what we have described for us here in this part of the passage is we have, we have God protecting Jesus, the Messiah, and providing for them at the same time, right? Through the, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. They were able to go on the trip and they were able to stay there until they were told to come back because of the resources that God provided through the wise men. Exactly what we would expect God to do, right? But here's the rest of the story. Upon hearing that the wise men um, had went home another way, because remember, King Herod had asked them, um, come back so that, uh, and tell me where you, where you find the baby, right? And uh, because I want to worship him too, but that, they, they were warned in a dream too, don't do it, go another way. And when Herod found that, that they had decided to go another way, he became furious. And all those feelings of insecurity and, and fear and, and animosity um, and greed rose to the surface and he made a decision. He made a choice that had tragic circumstance for an entire generation of little boys. He said, since I don't know where this, quote, newborn king of the Jew is, or I know where he is, he's in Bethlehem, but I don't know who it is. Just to cover my bases, I want you to kill every child, every baby boy two years old in Bethlehem and, and younger. I want you to kill him. It's not very Christmassy, is it? Probably not a part of the Christmas story that most of us want to focus on. To be quite honest with you, it's not part of the Christmas story that I want to focus on. Much of what we're going to be talking about today is not stuff that I really want to focus on. But I'm, I, want to, I want you to hear something from me. This is from my heart. I don't think we as the church do anybody any favors by um, not speaking the whole truth. You know what I mean? Sometimes on Christmas, we just want to feel good, right? So I just want to come to church, and I just want to feel good. And I don't blame you for that. But not speaking the whole truth doesn't do anybody any favors either. And here's the whole truth. It says in verse 17, that when King Herod did this dastardly thing, that it fulfilled a prophecy from old, from um, the prophet Jeremiah. You can see it up there on the screen, but I want you to read it in your scripture too. It says that it was fulfilled what was spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah when a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they care no more. Rachel, of course, is the mother of, of the nation of Israel. And what is Rama? Rama, tradition tells us, is that Rama is the place where Rachel was, was buried. And it says, even from the grave, 
the mother of Israel was weeping for the children that were killed, her children, on that very first Christmas. It's not Christmassy at all, is it? And all of that story gives rise to those questions that we were referring to earlier. Where is God in the midst of all of this? Why did God allow all this to happen? And here's perhaps the scariest question of all. If God knew this was going to happen, did God intend for it to happen? Well, let me answer the, first, the last question first. Did, did God intend for all that was described here in this part of the Christmas story, did God intend for that to happen? It's a legitimate question. Obviously, God is omniscient, meaning God knows everything, but it was also prophesied by Jeremiah. Did that mean that God intended for this tragic, horrific thing to happen to this entire generation of little boys in Bethlehem? Of course not. Of course, you see, just because God knows what's going to happen doesn't mean that God wants it to happen or that God intended it to happen. Which leads us to the second question, however, and if you haven't been paying close attention up to this point, maybe you should start paying attention now because what I'm about to share with you, we've been talking about these unexpected uh, Christmases. I'm going to share with you an unexpected answer to an to, uh, to the question. Why? Could, if God knew it was going to happen and He didn't want it to happen, why? Why did He let it happen? It's a one-word answer. You ready? called love. Now I know if you that should have shocked you. <laughs> because it sounds crazy, doesn't it? That God would allow all this to happen, that God would allow those babies to die for love? How is that possible? Well, let me try to answer that question with another question. If you were to imagine the one thing that human beings value the most, and I'm not talking about you as an individual necessarily, but I'm talking about humanity. If you were to imagine what, what humanity values most, if you look historically, what do you think is it is that human beings value the most? Well, my answer to that question is freedom. I'll tell you why. If you look over the course of history, more wars have been waged in order to maintain or to attain freedom than over anything else in world history. Freedom. We have been created by God to yearn for freedom. We, we want, we, we expect free will, the, the ability to, make a, to, be, to decide for ourselves what we're going to be and what we're going to do. We want freedom. But you got to understand that freedom, the, the ability to freely choose, comes at a high cost, doesn't it? 
Why is that? Because a lot of times, we human beings, and I got a lot of fingers moving, or pointing right back at me, we human beings choose badly. A lot of times, the, the free will that we exercise hurts other people. Okay, pastor, I get it. But couldn't he have stopped it? Couldn't he have at least stopped Herod from, from making the free will decision that he made that all those babies in Bethlehem couldn't? Yes, God could have done that. Of course God could have done that. But the question then becomes, where does God stop doing that, right? I, I would like God to stop Herod from doing that, wouldn't you? I think we'll all agree with that. But where do we draw the line? Where would God draw the line? Where would you have God draw the line? Well, if it was me, I would have God draw the line with, with Dave. Stop him from making choices, not me, right? See, when it starts, when, it, when all of a sudden we realize that that, that becomes, we're, that line may be drawn with me, then where do you draw the line? Well, okay, maybe I'm willing to draw, have the law or the line uh, drawn so that I don't make decisions that hurt other people. Well, listen to me, folks. Whether you are aware of it or not, whether you do it consciously or not, you make decisions every day that hurt people. Every day. Consciously and unconsciously, you're doing that. So where do we draw the line? Where would you have God draw the line? This is what you need to hear. God's not going to do that. God is not going to take away your free will. Why? Because of love. Which leads us to the final question that was asked. Where was God when all this happened? He was right there. He was right there with them. With those moms that couldn't be consoled because their babies had died. Providing hope. They couldn't see it. They didn't understand it. But he, that's exactly what he was doing when he protected that one little child named Jesus, right? He was providing hope for them and for every generation, every single human being that has ever lived since then, he was providing hope by protecting that one little baby named Jesus who would grow to be a man, and who would live happily ever after, right? No. That's not the story. That one little baby that he protected would grow to be a man and would die on a cross. Why? As atonement for your sin, for your bad choices, and mine, every single one of them. A man who would die on the cross, that's not the end of the story either, is it? A man who would die on the cross and then rise again on the third day because not only did he provide forgiveness 
by dying on the cross. He rose again, offering victory and hope in the midst of all the stuff of life that comes because we have free will. And that hope, that forgiveness, and that salvation is available to every single one of us. And all we have to do is receive it. And his name is Jesus. And that is the most Christmassy thing of all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, um, my beautiful wife said, Craig, why would you preach something like that on the Sunday before Christmas? And she's right to ask. It's a, not a Christmassy story, but it is the Christmas story. In all its clarity, it is the Christmas story. That we have hope today, even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of our sin, even when it feels like there is no hope, we have hope because of a babe that was born in a manger, because of that babe that would grow to become a man who would die on the cross, who would rise again on the third day. We have hope this Christmas season. And it is my prayer, Lord, that, that we as the church, that we as individual Christians would, would remember the message of Christmas that was preached today. That when um, we are confronted in other times throughout the year with, with brokenness in ourselves or the brokenness of the world and there feels like there is no hope, we would be reminded and that, that others would be reminded that there is always hope because of that baby that was born in a manger that grew to be a man who would die on the cross and rise again the third day. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us like that, for providing us hope, even when it feels like there is none. In Jesus' name, amen.